an anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode 447, submission number 2539. Chuck E. Cheese and the Galaxy 5000. Chuck E. Cheese and the Galaxy 5000 was a direct to video movie that was released. On October 5th, 1999. Now, question for you. Was this only available at Chuck E. Cheese locations as like a redemption? Or was this actually something you could have bought in a store or online in some capacity since Amazon would have uh, been in its infancy at that point? You could have probably gotten some stuff there. This, so far as I know, was only available at Chuck E. Cheese redemption walls. That would make this kind of rare then. I don't know how many people would be like clamoring to get the Chuck E. Cheese video out of all the different knickknacks and and goofy little toys they have there. I'll say this much. That's a better prize than one of those silly Chinese finger traps. I always wanted one of those. And let's remember the trick is you don't yank to get out of the Chinese finger trap. You've got to push it together. You have to be like counterintuitive. Oh, I'm sorry. I probably spoiled that for some person who's listening to this who got their fingers stuck in one of those traps. Well, not really spoiled it, but I got you out. You're more than welcome. Okay, time for a brief history lesson before we get racing. I'm going to tell you the story of a man by the name of Nolan Bushnell. You know who Nolan Bushnell is, right? Oh, yes, he's the man who invented Atari. Not only did he invent Atari. Oh, look at the Greg understood the assignment, ladies and gentlemen. He has his PS4 copy of Atari 50, the anniversary collection. Be right back. Mike's going to get his now. Mike's now going to get his copy. But I should note, if you have not gotten Atari 50 yet, which is available on all fine video game consoles, PS4, PS5, Xbox One slash Series X, and Nintendo Switch, and Steam, and PC. They now have DLC for it. They actually have like a bunch of Atari 2600 prototypes that are now added to the game that they put out maybe about two months ago. And they have like a new Atari Lynx game on the Atari 50 collection. So if you were like, uh, I might hold out for Atari 50. No, get it now. Get Atari 50 now. We said this in the Atari 2600 commercials episode, that this is a great collection, and Mike's holding a Switch copy. Which I still need to find. You can nowadays. I think the price of this went down from whatever I paid, which I think was $50. I think it's now like a $30 game brand new. But even at $50, worth every single penny. And I didn't hear what Greg said, but I bet you, if I heard it, I would agree 120%. He was just uh, pimping DLC. Yeah, because they now have DLC in Atari 50. I don't think I've ever looked for DLC on uh, Atari 50. I know I've gotten some updates through the uh, Switch, but wow. Uh, it, it's just so amazing, Chico, 
And I'm not just talking the games themselves. It gets into like a full multimedia history of Atari. And I know how much you appreciate video game history. It's just so immersive and uh, just a visual masterpiece and, and, and an audio masterpiece. They went to great expense and put in so much material into this. Plus not even getting into like the old games and even the new version of like Yar's Revenge. Oh, it's just beautiful. And some Easter eggs in there and uh, some unlockable games. You'll enjoy it. Okay. Well, anyway, back to Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari, originally called Syzygy until they figured out that it was already in use. And Atari's first success was a game similar to, but legally distinct from, Chicago Coins Speedway. After playing the Magnavox Odyssey in Burlingame, California, Bushnell was given the task of cloning that game for the system. After Bushnell attended a demonstration of the Magnavox Odyssey, considered to be the very first home console, he gave the task of making the Magnavox tennis game into a coin-op version as a test product. After some tweaks to it, like speeding up the ball the longer the game went on, we have Pong. And that proved to be such a success that Atari created a home system modeled on Pong. Atari enters the consumer electronics market with the Pong console, and then things blow up. But in 1977, while things were blowing up, Nolan Bushnell had an idea. He wanted to purchase Pizza Time Theater, which he sold to Warner Communications because he saw no use for it at the time. He wanted to purchase it back from Warner's as a place where kids could go and eat pizza and play video games. Now, both Kevin Perjurer at Defunctland and Jake Williams at Bright Sun both have really good deep dives into the history of Chuck E. Cheese. So I'm not going to go into too much detail here. Suffice it to say, after a couple of bumps in the road, Chuck E. Cheese still exists offering games, redemption prizes, and of course, pizza with a guy in a rat costume. It's a mouse, thank you very much, not a rat. One of the prizes that was available in the late 90s to early 2000s was something the likes of which has never been tried before. It hasn't been tried with predecessor company Showbiz Pizza Place. Hasn't been tried with defunct company Discovery Zone. It might have been tried with McDonald's thanks to Mac and Me. I don't know. But one of the things that was on offer at the world-famous Redemption Wall was a movie. But not just any movie. Chuck E. Cheese's first, and to this day, only feature-length film. And by feature, I mean roughly 55 minutes. 
It was called Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000. Released on October 5th, 1999 at all Chuck E. Cheese restaurants. The plot of the movie is that a boy needs $50,000 to fix his aunt and uncle's tractor engine. So he recruits Chuck E. Cheese and his friends to go to the Galaxy 5000 to win it in a race. Wait, why do they have to go to the Galaxy to win this engine for a tractor? And for $50,000, why don't they just buy another tractor? What engine would cost $50,000? It's a kid's film. Don't try and think about it. $50,000 to fix his aunt and uncle's tractor engine. And now that I think about it, why are they using American dollars in deep space? universal currency i bet if you go to any country in the world any country i challenge you go to south sudan they're not going to turn away your u.s dollars go to kyrgyzstan they're not going to turn away your u.s dollars go to uruguay i'm sure you'll be a friggin' millionaire in uruguay with one dollar go there they're not going to turn down your money not with their monopoly money that they have over there. This is the one place in the galaxy that doesn't use Star Wars credits. They use American dollars instead. I have not mentioned the little kid's name. Oh, wait. Oh, this is going to be great. What is the little kid's name? I bet this is going to be like a normal person's name. Like Joe or Jack or Dave or Mike or Carl. Oh, good. It's going to be something like Aloysius. The little boy's name is Charlie Rocket. Did somebody not learn from about 1981 that the name Charlie Rocket sort of fell out of favor because uh, he said a uh, really bad word on live TV? We talked about this in previous entry, Saturday Night Live 80, by the way. Episode 97, but hold on a second. Maybe the person that made this tape was such a big fan of Tequila and Bonetti that they decided, you know, I'm going to name the kid Charlie Rock. Or again, as Chico said, we're really analyzing this a little too deeply. Maybe he's just called Charlie Rocket because he goes to the Galaxy 5000 in a rocket. And wants to know who the F did it. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd like to know who did it. Before we get into the whole cut to the chase, here's what happens and who happened and who did it and where and where was I? Here's the official description from CEC Entertainment. Climb aboard the adventure machine with Chuck E. Cheese and his friends as they blast off for the coolest race in the universe, the Galaxy 5000. Chuck E. must win the race to help his friends Charlie Rocket, but can Chuck E. pull it off? Little does Chucky realize that he's racing against the evil Dr. Zoom and his ex-pilots who are cheating by using Zoom gas to hit Vega 2 speeds. It's like somebody in Texas was watching old episodes of Star Wars, Star Trek, and Battlestar Galactica while really, really high. Which is incredible, because at the time, all they had in Star Wars was the three movies, the Ewok TV movies. But the fourth movie would have been in production at this point, right? 
Well, the fourth movie would have been out at this time, Phantom Menace, yeah. yeah. So they had that too. Hold on, time out. You know what I just realized he might have been inspired by? The Padre Seed. That's Good it right call. there. Good call. Which makes I- me want to play Star Wars Episode One Racer on the N64. Nice. Anyway, zoom gas to hit mega two speeds. How could anyone fly that fast? More importantly, how could Chucky fly that fast and win the race for Charlie? Don't miss this musical adventure as Chucky learns to depend on his friends and believe in himself to overcome one of the biggest challenges of his life, the Galaxy 5000. CEC Entertainment did not go into this on their own. They commissioned the fine folks at Funimation Entertainment to help them. By the way, Funimation Entertainment, if the name sounds familiar, they are the people who brought America Dragon Ball Z. And most of the cast are known voice actors that work with Funimation Entertainment. The most famous of which is Christopher Sabat, who is best known as Vegeta and Piccolo. He also plays Roanoa Zoro in One Piece, Daisuke Jigen in Lupin the Third, and Dr. Arthur Watts in Ruby. I promised my friend Brady I would mention that. That's for you, girl. Other castmates, either in walkarounds or in suits, include Peyton Welch, Daphne Gare, and the voice of Duncan Brannon as Chuck E. Cheese, Georgia Denny and Linda Coleman as Helen Henney, Micah Menikos, Shay Caldwell, and the voice of Jeremy Blado as Jasper T. Jowls, Chris Kason, Rennie Fulton, and the voice of Christopher Sabat as Mr. Munch, who also plays the piano player, announcer, and narrator, Galen Bea as Charlie Rocket, Kenyon Holmes as his friend Peter, Rob Flanagan as his friend Ivan, Lydia Mackey as Astrid, the only one of the actual face actors who has an IMDb page with a picture on it, because she was in, among other things, Attack on Titan, Dragon Ball Z, and one of my favorite shows from last year, Trigun Stampede. By the way, Pasquale, who is behind Greg as a suit character, actually appears as a face character played by Stephen Lang. And this is his first, last, and only credit. So I'm guessing they needed somebody who looked like Mario but didn't sound like Mario. Now to describe Pasquale, he looks like Mario if you ordered him on Wish. But the actor, coincidentally... Looks like Avery Schreiber, if you ordered him on Wish. (laughs) Never thought you'd ever hear Avery Schreiber and Wish.com in the same sentence in human conversation in history. First time ever. You take that back about Avery Schreiber. Avery Schreiber is an American treasure, Greg. Yeah, don't talk about the Dorito Bandito that way. You know what? It is insulting to compare him to Wish.com. No. We got an Avery Schreiber reference out of this. Oh my gosh. I lied. Chris Sabat is not the most famous voice actor in this feature. Oh, who's that? 
Duncan Brannon is the most famous voice actor in this feature. He's been in Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Evangelion, Samurai 7. But before that, he was the voice of Barney. Oh, that's great. Was he the first voice or the second voice of Barney? I believe he was the first. Okay, because the second voice of Barney, as we all know, is Caitlin Deaver's dad. Okay, now, you know, after I think about this, the perfect voice for Pasquale, since we've been talking about how he's like Mario version of Wish, Avery Schreiber would be a fun voice, but I think you really need to go back into Mario history. Hit Captain Lou Albano. I think that would be the perfect voice for Pasquale. It's too bad Chris Pratt was like only like 16 at the time. Now that we have all of our particulars out of the way, here is the movie in brief. And again, special shout out to the Chuck E. Cheese wiki at fandom.com. That's fandom.com. They'll have a wiki for anything. A Chuck E. Cheese somewhere in Texas doubles as Pasquale's Diner. Several families are, you know, saying, hi, how you doing? Pasquale welcomes them all. After this, Pasquale's friend Chuck E. Cheese makes his grand entrance with Helen Henney, Mr. Munch, and Jasper T. Jowls before they all sit down for Pasquale to deliver dinner and have an emergency meeting about their friend, Charlie Rocket. Charlie needs money, and the gang takes out all the money they have. It's not nearly enough. Charlie explains that he needs the money for his aunt and uncle who own a farm. Their tractor is broken down before harvest time, and unless they get a new one, the farm will be shut down. And nobody wants that. Jasper suggests getting a job at a chicken restaurant, but that is just quickly shot down. I mean, chicken, video games, they don't go together. You lie. Raising Cane's goes with everything. We're only just starting to get Raising Cane's in New York, slowly. It's not here have... in Long Island yet, but it's going to be here eventually. So hopefully. We, we don't have Raising Cane's. All we have is Bojangles and the KFC, but nobody goes there. Well, you in North Carolina, you have good taste when it comes to chicken. Bojangles and Zaxby's. Wait, don't you have Culver's? There is a Culver's opening up. I don't know where, but it's close. It's within driving distance. We got a Culver's. uh, It's maybe about three, four miles away. It was within the last year or so. And I've been there once or twice. I tried, what was it, the... uh, the, the, the curd burger or whatever it was, where it was like cheese curds on a, a burger. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good for like $13 for the meal. I just realized something. Helen may have a problem with the whole chicken thing. Because she's a chicken. Oh! So Chucky asks Pasquale if there's anything they could do to help Charlie raise the money in time. And to answer, Pasquale turns on the TV... Because Chuck E. Cheese's in the late 1990s in Texas have TVs mounted on the corner, especially in the sports room. 
and the TV displays an ad for the upcoming Galaxy 5000, a Grand Prix race held on planet Orion, where racers fly in space jets and race against each other to win pride for their home planet and the coveted Grand Prize. 30 Quiller, which, if my math is correct, is about $52,000 in Earth money. The Galaxy 5000 is an interplanetary race on the planet Orion. The race loops through the Crystal Canyons region, ending back at the Mach 7 gateway where the race begins. Ooh, wow! Racers from many planets will pit their skills and courage in the hopes of winning the grand prize, along with pride for their planetary home. The grand prize for first place is a 30 kilar, which amounted to about a 52,000 US dollars. Whoa! Whoa! Oh. <laughs> How are we gonna get one of them fancy flying racer vehicles? You can use a mild jet racer. You mean you've done this race before? Five times to be exact. Wow! wow. <laughs> hey, I was a younger once, just like your crazy kids. Wait, they use donuts as money? Oh, you said, was it Kriller? Quiller. Oh, I thought you said crawlers. Okay. I got a question. How did they get the frequency to get this commercial from somewhere else in the galaxy on this TV? Don't you know, Greg? Everything's bigger in Texas. Including TV satellites. Oh, that's right. They probably had those big-ass C-band satellites still in the late 90s. Plus, it's probably close to Houston, and you know they're hiding something at NASA. Oh, yeah. At the Johnson Space Center? You know that. They don't just give away all those space camp trips on Nickelodeon and not be hiding something. Oh, when you win the grand prize on Double Dare, they're going to give you like a surprise. You're going to see some serious shit here. So Pasquale also reveals not only... Does 30 Quiller round off to about $52,000, which is just enough. He also reveals he used to compete in the Galaxy 5000 himself five times in the past, and his old co-pilot, Flapjack, will be there to let him use the old jet racer he's flown in. Flapjack! So Chucky and the gang accept, but Pasquale gives a warning that the race has not changed much since he retired and plays the rest of the tape. See, Greg? It's a tape. Oh, it's a tape, not a transmission. One of the racers, a team called the X-Pilots, has broken the speed records by achieving super fast but impossible speeds known as Vega 2. And authorities are investigating in case of anything suspicious. But they have no evidence. Jasper and the others are uncertain over how difficult it is to achieve Vega 2 like the X is and ba by the way Vega 2 is not even a thing. Vega 2 sounds more like a planet than an actual speed. But Chucky suddenly catches a sense of adventure and decides they should enter leading him to sing a song with everybody in the restaurant. Jasper is skeptic, but after some enticement, he gives in, and the whole team sets off for adventure out there. So deep beneath Pasquale's Chuck E. Cheese, 
diner, there's a secret laboratory. And in the secret laboratory, we have Pasquale's awesome adventure machine, which will help Chucky and the gang get to planet Orion fast. And before departing, Chucky shows off his new racing uniform, which looks like what would happen if a uh, racing uniform and a mid to late 1980s Chuck E. Cheese uniform had a kid. Helen has no problem with it. They all get in the machine. They say goodbye to Pasquale, who stays behind, and activates the machine, sending the team to planet Orion. Once the team arrives, they land in a heap on the Mach 7 gateway where the race is taking place and are astounded by the planet's wild atmosphere. Nearby, they encounter the ex-pilots, Peter and Ivan, who are being interviewed by the press over how they managed to reach Vega 2 speeds over a supposed training program. So Peter and Ivan, they're not friends of Charlie's. They're bad people. And they don't care whether they were disqualified from last year's race because of it. When they overhear Helen call them jerks for attacking the reporter, they begin bullying her and Jasper before Chucky stops to stand up for them and nearly pick a fight. You don't want any of that smoke. He's Chucky motherfather cheese, man. He runs the video game and pizza racket on Earth. Peter Piper ain't got nothing on this guy. Suddenly, the ex-pilot's captain, Dr. Zoom, breaks up the argument and calls them away to save their conflict for the track, and Chucky leads everyone away to find Flapjack. In a nearby garage, they encounter Flapjack, who immediately recognizes Chucky, because, come on, it's Chucky freaking cheese here, and he leads the team to show him Pasquale's old space jet and three-time winner, the Songbird. But it turns out to be... uh. How can I put this humanely? A hoopty. Wait. So they literally got a space hoopty? Did they borrow it from the guys from Homeboys in Outer Space? I wish it was that space hoopty. But it's just as outdated and just as in need of major repair. After Flapjack leaves, Helen realizes Jasper is a mechanical genius and should help him, but he's unsure. Suddenly, they're greeted by a woman named Astrid, whom Chucky takes a quick liking to, and she adds that she has an interest in racers and is excited to see them race in the qualifier tomorrow. Oh, she's a race girl. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Although she's mildly surprised by the way the songbird looks, Chucky promises it will look better than ever when they actually fix it and then fly it. When Astrid drops her handkerchief, Chucky and Jasper wrestle over who gets it before Chucky manages to beat him. But Helen takes it and gives it to Astrid out of jealousy. Astrid then invites Chucky to the soda shop after the qualifiers for a date, but when she asks if he and Helen were taken, Chucky denies it and calls her one of the guys. Oh, jeez. Helen, again, jealous. Storms off in a fit of anger, but Chucky doesn't understand why she's upset. Uh, See, he understands pizza. He understands video games. He does not understand women. That evening, Chucky helps Blackjack fix the songbird while Helen laments in the soda shop balcony over why Chucky can't see the real me. Another song there. 
The next day, we have the qualifying round. Chucky and his gang are in heap number four. They fully fixed the songbird, gave it a more contemporary makeover, but Helen is nowhere to be found, much to Chucky's confusion, as that wasn't how she usually acts. Jasper says the songbird's ready to go and needs to be taken for a test run, but Chucky puts in that there's no time for that as the race is starting. As the team boards the songbird, Flapjack tells Chucky to take it easy at first because the X-Pilots only use Vega 2 when they near the finish. He also warns the team that the final three miles of the course run through the dangerous Dead Man's Canyon. After a false countdown, the race begins, but the songbird stalls, prompting Jasper to reconnect the wires and pretty much jumpstart the thing before it finally takes flight. Once in the air, Chucky enjoys flying the songbird just before catching up with the X-Racer in the lead up ahead. The songbird overtakes the X-Racer, but Peter and Ivan have other ideas and hit the songbird, sending them out of control before Chucky manages to get them back on track. Using Jasper's advice, Chucky starts making the songbird do tricks which allow them to avoid the X-Racer's cheats, taking back the lead. Soon after, Peter and Ivan engage Vega 2, activate a switch, and releases a smoke substance called Zoom Gas, which they inhale and activate the setting, leaving the songbird in the dust. Chucky realizes they should go into Vega 2 as well, but it's unstable and he has a hard time piloting. Eventually, they reach Dead Man's Canyon. Chucky's unable to see properly during Vega 2 and keeps crashing the songbird. The X-Pilots place first. The songbird finishes dead last. Later at the soda shop, Chucky tells Astrid about his qualifying failure, feeling there's no way his team will be able to win the final Galaxy 5000 race, which is the next day. Astrid reassures him that he'll do fine. But then Helen arrives with the X-Pilots alongside her, making it look like she has joined them and betrayed Chucky's team. Oh, no. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's been a while since we've done that, okay? She's secretly faking it to go undercover and find out the secret to their cheating. They reach Chucky and Astrid's table and proceed to mock and berate him in very row. Helen claims she's left Chucky for the champions and he is nothing but a loser. He's a loser! After the X-Pilots leave, Jasper laments to Munch and Charlie that they have a snowball's chance in Texas to win the race if Chucky doesn't act up. Because it's a kid's movie and you can't say the real phrase. Peter and Ivan then bring Helen to an underground warehouse where Dr. Zoom works and she proceeds to lure them into admitting how they were able to fly at Vega 2 so easily and win all those races. It leads to the point where Ivan accidentally lets slip. They use Zoom gas to help them win, and the two argue again before Dr. Zoom arrives, admitting Helen has finally discovered the X-Team's secret, and they are indeed cheaters. Dr. Zoom reveals the team inhales the gas, which allows them to see better during Vega 2, allowing them to easily overtake their competitors, and adds it is made from the extract... Oh, boy. It is made from the extract... Of chicken. What? Absolutely nothing about this makes sense. So Peter and Ivan sees Helen and Dr. Zoom tells her since she threatened to expose them, 
She's going to be reduced to juice before the race the next day. Later that evening, Chucky has decided to ride the Songbird alone to practice Vega 2 before the race. While Jasper comes out and tries to stop him, Chucky insists that he has to if he wants to win tomorrow. Jasper offers to come with him, but Chucky says he can do it alone and takes off. Reaching Dead Man's Canyon, he shifts into Vega 2, once again unable to pilot the thing properly, and there's another crash. In an underground cave, Chucky is greeted by Harry, a wise hermit who bears an uncanny resemblance to Pasquale. Harry rescued him from the crash and brought him to his home to recover. Chucky realizes the songbird is broken and he has no chance of winning now, telling Harry of his racing situation and his inability to handle Vega 2. Harry reveals the reason Chucky cannot handle Vega 2, like the ex-pilots, is because he didn't do any training. He needs to have the correct skills to race properly. Chucky agrees and lets Harry train him, and throughout the night, Harry guides Chucky through a series of ridiculous but sharp exercises to help him focus and discover his true potential. The next day at the soda shop, it's the day of the big race, Astrid is stunned when Munch, Jasper, and Charlie have told her Chucky's missing. What? He's missing? He's missing. How did he go missing? He's still with the not Pasquale training, I'm guessing. Oh, okay. The ex-pilots arrive and Astrid joins them because she spent all of her vacation savings to watch a real racer compete. She had no likeness for Chucky as he thought and was only there for the prize money, claiming Peter and Ivan are better racers for her type. She leaves with them calling the trio the table of losers, making them worry for Chucky more. Back at the cave, Chucky has finished his training and Harry has mended the songbird in that time. Chucky thanks Harry for helping him prepare and he sees him off as he departs for the race while Helen is trapped in the warehouse cellar, along with a series of other captive chickens. Oh, no. She's trapped of her captive chickens. This is not good. Mike, this is not good if she's trapped of her captive chickens. I really want Raising Cane's right now. Not a commercial, guys. It's not an endorsement, guys. It's a declaration of love. But if you Cane's folks want to send some free chicken my way, I'm not going to complain. Helen manages to get out of her trap by using one of her feathers to pick the lock just as Dr. Zoom comes to juicify her. She knocks Dr. Zoom unconscious with a frying pan and escapes the warehouse with the other chickens following behind. With the Galaxy 5000 just moments away, Chucky arrives back at the gateway for everyone to welcome him back with relief. Chucky sees Astrid flirting with Peter and Ivan, and he's all like, Oh, Hell no. Chucky realizes her true nature. Quips, she got what she wanted. Helen also returns and apologizes to Chucky for the way she acted at the soda shop and was only going undercover. Chucky apologizes back for excluding her, and she's a true friend and teammate. Helen then tells the team about the Zoom gas. Chucky realizes everything before flying the songbird to the starting line. And now... It's race time! When he gets to Dead Man's Canyon, he puts it into Vega 2, easily handles it, but thanks to the Zoom gas, the X-Racers take the lead, 
Chucky's unable to pass them. The songbird winds up in the Black Forest, resulting in them going off the race radar, but Chucky cannot take them out of Vega 2, otherwise they won't be able to catch up. Chucky manages to fly the songbird out of the forest and back on the map, but they've fallen back to last place. Oh no, that's not good. They've fallen back into last place. With the end of the race nigh, Chucky realizes that the only way they can catch up is if they go to a speed higher than Vega 2. Oh, I know where they're going to go. They're going to go to ludicrous speed. Even faster than that. Wait, Chico, you're saying that there's a speed faster than ludicrous speed? There's a speed faster than ludicrous speed. Oh, my God. Don't say it's Vega 3. Oh, you have watched this movie, Mike. No! Really? And just for the record, I have not seen this movie. No, neither have I. So how unimaginative is that? The speed higher than Vega 2 is Vega 3. Harry calls Chucky over the radio to give him advice, but it quickly shorts out and loses reception, and Chucky begins to lose hope until Charlie admits that he believes in him. Popping Jasper and Munch to also give their words of encouragement as well. Chucky begins to gain confidence until he becomes self-assertive enough to activate Vega 3, and with that, he reaches Dead Man's Canyon and is successful at flying through without crashing. We're in the home stretch. The Songbird manages to get ahead of the X-Racer by mere inches and crosses the finish line first to win the Galaxy 5000 but only by so much. Chucky wins much to the shock of the X-Team and Astrid as Dr. Zoom is seized by the police. Chucky and his friends regroup and they all cheer him for his victory and Charlie thanks him for that because he won. His aunt and uncle's farm is saved. Chucky happily admits not only Charlie helped him believe in himself, but his whole team did. He begins leading a celebration with everyone in the stadium as they sing and dance to... A song called, We Did It. While Dr. Zoom and the X-Pilots are arrested and taken away to custody, but not before Astrid takes her handkerchief back and ditches them as they argue once again. The film ends with Chucky and his team getting their photo taken by the reporters and a montage of stills over the course of their adventures shown as the credits roll. And that's the movie. It's absolutely schmaltzy. Wait, you're kidding me. A video you could only get at the Chuck E. Cheese redemption counter is schmaltzy? Yeah. Not to steal a line from the birthday boy, but I'm shocked. This is my shocked face. Not really much to this movie except an uh, hour-long commercial for Chuck E. Cheese, which is kind of ironic since this is the only place where you can find it. Although, you can now watch the film in its entirety on YouTube. It's really something. I'm just thankful we can all watch this together on the internet and all share in Chuck E. Cheese Racing in the Galaxy 5 episode. This is what Nolan Bushnell had wrought. A talking mouse racing in space $50,000 to help a little boy keep his farm open. That was probably inspired by the pottery scene in episode one. 
and it's all brought to us by the fine folks who brought Dragon Ball Z to America. Before we wrap this up, though, I just want to preface this by saying this was, as you guys know, planned well ahead of time. As soon as I was able to put my money in the bank on the schedule, I declared this. But as it would happen, there's actually news attached to this entry. So Chuck E. Cheese is teaming up with Magical Elves to create a game show? You know, I can buy it. From what I've seen and heard, it sounds like it's going to be sort of a mix between like Raid the Cage and like Family Game Night, if you remember that on Discovery Hub back, gosh, it was probably about 13, 14 years ago now. I do remember that. The Emmy Award winning Family Game Night, if I'm not mistaken. So it's supposed to have like supersized arcade-ish type of games like like air hockey and I'm guessing if it's Chuck E. Cheese, you gotta have ski ball. I have a list here. We have pinball, air hockey, alley roller, and the human claw. Oh yeah, there is gonna be a human claw game. I wonder if that's gonna be sort of like when uh Bob Belcher and the Belchers went on Family Fracas on Bob's Burgers, and they actually had like a crane with Bob attached to it, and they lowered him into the ball pit. That would be awesome. But also, you said pinball. Didn't anybody learn anything about like supersized pinball with the Magnificent Marble Machine, albeit that was close to 50 years ago? But it still sounds fascinating, and it's gotten so much traction, I've actually seen it on the local news in the last, like, day or so. It sounds like it could be really fun, though. And also, I like how the term they used, rollerball or whatever you said it was, can't really say alley ski. Roller. Alley roller. Okay. You can't really say ski ball since that's a licensed name, but we know what alley roller is. I'll give it a try. I mean, seriously? Yeah, it's sometimes not really fun watching people do this stuff, but, you know, at the same time, if it ends up being sort of like this kind of family game night slash Raid the Cage type of hybrid, I'm aboard. I love Raid the Cage. Raid the Cage is one of our favorite shows from last year, by the way. Even though we didn't mention it in the year in review as one of our favorite shows. We only had but so much time and so many shows to talk about but anyway one of the shows that never gets old though the match game hollywood squares hour it's time for this weekend match game hollywood squares our history Gentlemen, we've made it all the way to the fourth full week of January 1984. And this week is a very special week. It's We Got It Made week. Well, not necessarily in the same way that we had Leave It to Beaver, where we had seven people from Leave It to Beaver and Gallagher. We sort of have like five people from We've Got It Made or four people from We Got It Made. This week we have Gary Berghoff from MASH, 
or actually at this point it'd be after MASH, not MASH, and from We Got It Made, Terry Copley, Matt McCoy, Buddy Urseth, Tom Villard, David Oliver, and then Leah Ayers, who wasn't on We've Got It Made as far as I know. I remember her from the 9 to 5 series. And then America's Sweetheart back in 1984, the one and only Nidra Vols. No, 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 no. America's Sweetheart to you, not to me. Name me America's Sweetheart in 1984. Mary Lou Retton, silly. Everyone knows this. She got famous at the Olympics. This is January of 1984. So name me America's Sweetheart in January of 1984. A little four-year-old Chico? Little Chico. My ass, you were America's Sweetheart in 1984. Okay, you know, this whole birthday thing's going to his head. <laughs> so yeah, Nidra Voles was America's Sweetheart in 1984. Thank you. Well, at least until July of 1984. Then Mary Lou became America's Sweetheart. And then by January of 1985, Deidre Voles became America's Sweetheart once again because everybody was done with Mary Lou Retton. But hey, we actually have shows this week. We did have a $20,000 win on Tuesday of that week with uh, Bonnie Ursef and a $10,000 win with Matt McCoy. But nothing real spectacular in terms of gameplay, in terms of contestants. It was sort of a blase week in that regard. But we did get one thing out of this week. America got to see America's Sweetheart in early 1984, Nidra Vols. End of story. Back to you to wrap up the show, Chico. Don't you like how I cut that off before Greg could say anything about Nitro Bulls not well, being America's sweetheart? That time out. Did Tom have the 30 in any of the episodes? Why, yes, Greg. Tom Villard had the 30 on both the Monday and Tuesday episodes of this week. Now that we're all safely back on Earth and ready to enjoy pizza and video games, why don't you head over to It Was a Thing on TV.com where we have all 446 of our previous entries, including some bonus material, instant reactions, mini-sodes, live watches, you name it, we've got it. And of course, we're on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we're at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. You can listen to the show wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. And of course, if you are on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries. For example, I don't know if you guys know this, but 2024 is an election year. I know this because ads have been trying to beat their way into my brain to remind me of that fact. Yeah, sadly, it's the same thing here. Oh, my gosh. It's not even the end of January yet. I'm already sick of about uh, two different politicians here who are haven't even gotten to the primary yet. They're trying to actually get into the main election. You think politics is annoying now? How about politics in the middle of 1985, where we have a female president who is juggling running the country? And running her family. What? That's coming up this Thursday right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. 
Please be kind to one another, and we'll see you for the next one. Wow! Chico, it's time to reveal a revelation about Chuck E. Cheese that I found out that I showed Mike. And I don't think you're ready for this. This is from the Today Show. Now, this is from their website. And I want you to read this out loud for us. Chuck E. Cheese was an orphan who didn't know his birthday. Oh my god. Shut the front door! Did you know about this, Chico? I was today years old when I learned all of this. All right, let me read this Today Show article from today.com, written by Chrissy Callahan from August 22nd, 2019. Many people have fond childhood memories of celebrating birthdays at Chuck E. Cheese, the games, the pizza, the prizes. And while a lot of former kids may think they know everything about the popular arcade restaurant and its namesake road, did you ever stop to wonder what Chuck was really like as a child? It turns out this cheerful mouse has been hiding a very depressing secret past. By now, you likely know that Chuck E. Cheese is an animal who loves to sing and have a good time. But it wasn't always pizza and prizes for this music-loving mouse. Someone on Twitter recently shed light on Mr. Cheese's history, revealing that he grew up in an orphanage. Sad, but even sadder, young Chuck loved celebrating other kids' birthdays growing up, because get the tissues ready. He never knew his own. BuzzFeed later confirmed that the story is indeed true and unearthed the digital copy of the children's book, The Story of Chuck E. Cheese, on the restaurant's website. A Chuck E. Cheese representative later confirmed to Today Food that the brand first published the story to its website around 2012, so it hasn't been around since the chain's inception in the late 1970s. The story opens by explaining that a young mouse named Chuck grew up in an orphanage called Get ready for this. State Marineras. <laughs> what? State Marineras. That's the orphanage that Chuck E. Cheese was placed in. Thus setting the stage for this pizza-loving rodent's personality to develop. Readers also learned that Chuck E. Cheese, whose middle name is actually entertainment, always loved the song Happy Birthday, yet he had never heard it sung to himself. However, with so many kids around the orphanage, the little mouse had a lot of opportunities to celebrate with other kids, and he came to truly love birthday parties. Then Chuck E. Cheese grew up and had to leave the orphanage, because adults can't live with kids. More sadness, he moved to New York City to be around a lot of people, but he still felt lonely. To spice things up, he started secretly living in a pizza parlor. He loved the music and the delicious aroma of pizza, but he couldn't hide for long. Now, Chico, do you have any questions? Chico wants to know where St. Marineras is. <laughs> For all we know, St. Marineras might have been the orphanage Matt Murdock went to after his dad died. Oh my Season god! Daredevil. Instead of putting you in holy water, do they baptize you in pizza sauce? I'm going to hell, I know I am. Soon, the owner, a man named Pasquale, found Chuck E. Cheese and tried to chase him away. Nervous, the mouse began to sing. Lo and behold, his angelic voice blew the owner away. A mouse that can sing, my restaurant is saved. I'm gonna make you a star, Pasquale said. He was so inspired by Chuck that he changed the name of his restaurant to Chuck E. Cheese's, 
home of the world-famous Singing Mouse. But guys, there was still more sadness to come. During Chuck's first performance, the audience booed him. But when he finally sang Happy Birthday to a lone child of the audience, the crowd broke up and the rest is history. The Happy Mouse went on to sing with several friends and he convinced Pasquale to incorporate games into the restaurant. While we were all getting our game on and noshing on pizza, it turns out Chuck E. Cheese was hiding a pretty dark back personal story. But all's well that ends well, and it's clear that Chuck's adversity just made him a better person or a mouse man. Today, Chuck e. still loves birthday parties, pizza, and music, a Chuck E. Cheese representative said. Kind of makes sense because now the uh, lead singer for Bowling for Soup, Jarrett Reddick, voices Chuck E. Cheese. I'm going to make a parallel here. Chuck E. Cheese's evolution story is very similar to that of the gong show. People booed the gong show at first, but grew to love it. Go buy Adam Native's book, by the way. Think of that connection. People didn't like Chuck E. Cheese at first, but he went to that little boy and sang happy birthday to him, and everybody fell in love with him. Same thing. Gong show, some goofy act comes out there like, this is the stupidest stuff ever. Gong. But you know what? Get rid of John Barbara's host. Bring in Chuck Barris. And hilarity ensues. Everybody loves the franchise. And of course, let's remember, the original host of the gong show, John Barber, was on the New Liars Club. Oh, hold on. I found an image of Chucky performing at the restaurant on opening night. Look at him. He looks like a stand-up comic. He's at the Chuckle Hut. What's the deal with pizza? It's like if Billy Barty did stand-up. Oh, but you're not going to believe this. You know what uh, Chuck E. Cheese's favorite game is? Pong. Of course, Nolan Bushnell. But also, going back to that image of him looked like he was going to do stand-up. Okay, look at him and look at his face and look just look at that. Why does it look like he's ready to be like, Is this thing on? This is the worst episode of It's Always Showtime at the... It's always showtime. I'm thinking about it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's always showtime at the Apollo. This is the worst episode of It's Showtime at the Apollo I've ever seen. End the show! Ding.